Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. A stunning and fiery hearing in Georgia as the DA there, Fannie Willis, who is prosecuting Trump and other defendants in the election case. It's a RICO case. Well, she was on the hot seat. So will she be disqualified because of her romantic relationship with the special prosecutor that she brought on the case? And also, what does it mean for the case overall? Well, joining us now to discuss this and so much more. There are so many legal cases, especially surrounding President Trump. And here to talk about all of this is the great criminal, civil and family law attorney, also superb on air legal analyst, Ken Belkin. Ken, great to have you here on the podcast. Great to be here, Rita. Thank you for having me. What did you make of Fannie Willis defiantly getting on the stand and just throwing everything out there? It was wild. Yeah, I mean, it was really combative. It's really interesting from a defense attorney perspective to see a district attorney on the stand like that. Because, you know, it, it's not a position they often find themselves in. Usually th- them or their underlings usually are the ones asking the questions. And it was it was interesting to see her getting knocked down a few pegs. I think it was humbling. But, uh, but uh, as a witness, I mean, she comes across extremely combative, strident, and, and just aggressive and not very, very likable if this were, you know, for the finder of fact. She's just very aggressive. What did you make? Did you find that she was credible or just a lot of the things she said where she said, well, we always paid each other in cash. Uh, she got into all these bizarre tangents. Also, you know, saying that their relationship started, she claims, so does the prosecutor, that it happened after he was on the case. There's a witness who says otherwise. Did you find her believable? No, you, you know, look, there's a problem. At one point, the the the, uh, the questioning turned to cash payments to Mr. Wade. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, there's just no record at all that she could come up with for these payments besides her testimony. That's what came out in the questioning. And that's very hard to believe this day and age. You know, you, you almost have to go to great lengths to conceal things like that because, there, there, there is usually a paper trail mile wide with any transaction that you do. I mean, who who even uses cash anymore? I don't, you know. Yeah, it, it didn't seem believable. I, I agree with you because you get into the cash stuff and especially like you said, and she made it sound like she was kind of walking around with wads of cash handy all the time. Yeah, well, he was also talking why about it- that. Didn't it seem like a bizarre thing, like you said, in this day and age? Yeah, why is a district attorney and elected the chief elected law enforcement official in her jurisdiction just walking around with cash that she can't account for? Now, look, when I said I don't use cash, I do use cash, actually. I thought about it. And the one thing I use cash for is to tip people when I park my car. And I'm always running to ATMs in courthouses to take out, you know, a couple of 20s so I have some cash to tip the, the parking guys. And you know, if someone looked at my bank statements, they looked at those ATM withdrawals. Yeah, you know, that's a withdrawal 
at, at a courthouse, probably for a parking garage. You know, why can't we get any sort of clear, you know, evidence as to where this money is coming? We just have to take her at a word. It's, it's very strange. And she should be kind of appalled that that's how she has to defend herself. It's, it's a really it's a terrible excuse and defense. Explain why they're using sort of the cash uh, answer and why the money is important in this case and and why that goes to where maybe federal funds, uh, obviously funding going to the prosecutor who now we know they had a relationship with. They both came out and said they had a relationship. Explain why the money and commingling is a big issue. Well, the the issue is, is that, look, she clearly appointed an individual that she had a romantic relationship with that's, you know, it's not disputed to the position of a special prosecutor. And he was paid several hundred thousands of dollars. You know, what was he paid this money for? And there was evidence. I've read reports that people in similar positions uh, were paid significantly less. So what is so special about Mr. Wade's uh, legal ability that justifies this increase in payment? And, you know, never mind, he's taking her on vacations and all that. I mean, it does beg the question, did she maybe give him this salary bump because he was romantically involved with her? Because that's not really an appropriate use of, of, of a prosecutor's office's resources. You know, you shouldn't be making personnel decisions based on who you're dating. Yeah, if this this happened in a private corporation, it's a human relations disaster. The fact that it happened, if it happened in private industry, the fact of the matter is, if this was the CEO that did this, this CEO would be removed by the board of directors. That's interesting. And and you would think in a case like this where you are going after the former president of the United States, Ken Belkin, and other defendants, because as I mentioned, it's a RICO case, that you would want to look so squeaky clean, so above board, nothing that could be construed as a conflict of interest. Don't you think she should have actually gone the extra mile? And now it certainly begs the question of obviously a lot of questions of ethics and conflict of interest. Well, yeah, you would have thought she'd go the extra mile. But here's my whole thing. When I look at this indictment and I look at and and I read it, I have read a lot of indictments. Uh, That that is that is the God's honest truth. You know, a lot of attorneys that go on programs, you know, they just, you know, go on programs. I've read a lot of indictments. (laughs) It's probably not something I shouldn't be proud of. But when I read this indictment and I've read a lot of conspiracy indictments, the, the acts, the overt acts of the conspiracy, they are making totally lawful things, a bunch of independently lawful actions, and trying to lump them together and call it a crime. That's what they're doing. I mean, innocuous actions like a phone call to a state representative. You know, what's the basis for that? You're allowed to make phone calls to state representatives. You're allowed to say, hey, I want you to look into some things. I have a feeling there might be some chicanery involved in this election. Like there are lawful steps that one should take as president of the United States, as the person that's 
supposed to be responsible for our election integrity. You know, the buck stops with him. He's got to make sure our elections are fair. If he has a suspicion that there was something unfair in an election, he has a duty as president to investigate and try and unravel it and get to the bottom of it. And that's what he did in Georgia. And they've essentially criminalized him for taking those lawful steps. You know, you bring up a great point because he is saying, uh, President Trump, as we heard in that famous recording, find me the votes. He doesn't say fabricate the votes. He doesn't say, you know, uh, pull them out of thin air. He is saying, uh, find me the votes. And he's contending publicly, Ken Belkin, that he believed they were there. And like you said, he believes he was trying to locate what he thought was lawfully there. So it's an interesting thing. It's not. And especially if you're going after, again, the former president of the United States, you really should have such a lock solid case. And you're saying this doesn't even pass the smell test. It should be it should be black and white. The, The criminal law, by the way, as a concept, as a baseline concept they teach you in law school, the criminal law should not be abstract. It should be extremely understandable. It's intended to be black and white because we don't want there to be situations where it could be applied, but maybe it can't be applied. It's supposed to be very clear the laws that you're breaking. Now, we might have gotten away from that intention a little bit, but certainly um, certainly the, the, the fact that you know he said find the votes Number one, that implies that maybe they were lost or misplaced. But get, even getting aside from that, like you said, he didn't say to fabricate it. He didn't say go get rid of some of Biden's votes. Nothing like that. Find me the votes is a very is a, is a statement that is wildly open to interpretation. Yeah, positive and negatively. No, absolutely, you're right. And the vagueness, what you said, is obviously not where you can go to the standard of going after a former president. Is your contention? Yes. And the fact that they but they just the way it's written. And I'm actually surprised because when I read it, I felt when I read it, they were making the case to set up indictments in other jurisdictions as well, like Nevada, Arizona, I think Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, because they point to acts that they say were like the, the fact that there was communications with representatives in those states as as evidence of a wider conspiracy. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at the 2020 election, It was the most widespread use of mail-in ballots ever in the history of the United States. And a lot of experts say, and it makes sense, if anyone could just fill in a mail-in ballot and mail it in, it does sort of open yourself up to the possibility of fraud. And listen, people are willing to do all sorts of things to rip people off for a thousand bucks. You're telling me no one would consider doing something fraudulent to sway uh, the election for the most important elected leader in the world? Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. Now, going back to the Fannie Willis case, um, how much do you think she may have perpetrated a fraud on the court? Because a lot of the things that she's on the hot seat for 
are for statements that she put in writing, you know, signing off first about, you know, when their relationship started, signing off on, you know, not doing this, not doing that. Also, her lover, Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor that she put in there, same thing. Could they be in hot seat if it turns out that what they put in writing, what they said to the court was false? I mean, I suppose they would face some criminal exposure to like a perjury charge or false statement charge, whatever the the, the Georgia equivalent is, um, because if they're putting statements in writing that they're swearing to the truth of under oath, uh, that, that's a criminal offense in every jurisdiction in this country. So there could be exposure there. Moreover, if she were to there have been evidence that she committed a crime, she could be rightfully impeached. She could be removed from office. Um, and I do think there's enough there probably to remove her from office. You do. Uh, whether or not that amounts to any material change in the status of former President Trump's prosecution, I don't know that it's going to have some great effect unless they get a prosecutor that comes in there and looks at it and says, hey, you know, this is kind of a flimsy case. We're kind of, you know, wildly interpreting things uh, and giving him not every benefit of the doubt, but no benefit of the doubt and really every penalty of the doubt. And maybe they take a look at it and decide to drop it. But, you know, that's a Hail Mary. But I would point out that in New York City, the, the, where President Trump is under indictment currently and was in court today, you know, the, the D.A. Alvin Bragg that went forward with this case, his predecessor, Cy Vance, uh, did not want to go forward with this case and had declined to do so. Now, Ken Belkin, this trial that you're talking about in New York with Alvin Bragg, that starts again uh, March 25th. The judge wouldn't move on that. So it is going to start on March 25th. That will be the first criminal trial for President Trump. Um, your thoughts about that being the first one and talk about that case. Well, man, my first thought is it was so funny. I went on a show this morning at eight o'clock to talk about the case. And then I went to the courthouse and it was like I had forgotten that Trump was coming to the courthouse I was going to this morning. And when I got there, it was, it was obviously pandemonium. And I remembered, oh, yeah, you were just talking about this. Uh, but be, yeah, it is interesting. Um, that's an interesting case in that of itself. You know, there, there's an argument that they violated the statute of limitations in bringing this case. And I think that's going to be an argument that goes up on appeal. Um, and there's going to be a lot of arguments. You know, some of the stuff that's being introduced against him. Remember, he made payments to Michael Cohen. OK, who is Michael Cohen? Michael Cohen was his attorney. And there is something known as attorney-client privilege. It's questionable whether the privilege extends to matters of billing and financial relationship when you pay your attorney. Um, but he can, to assert that privilege and raise it as an issue on appeal. Um, there are a lot of issues with this case. Again, they're, they're taking a law and applying it to something that really isn't a crime. You know, he still made that payment to Michael Cohen. And if it was an error in recording, it's not necessarily there isn't really any evidence that I've seen that the error was made intentionally with the intent to deceive or falsify a business record. You know, it was very clear who the payment was going to. You know, you bring up a good point because 
his contention and a lot of people's contention is that these things happen all the time where maybe it's a clerical error or it's an error. He says in part, obviously, he, you know, for personal embarrassment, didn't want certain things to come out or whatever it is. Uh, These are cases where typically somebody doesn't necessarily get prosecuted for. But yet, because it's Trump, they go after him. Right. I mean, it's very strange. Look, as an attorney, I've participated in scenarios where I had a client, I've had many clients who made allegations against someone and they were paid off. And there's always confidentiality, non-disclosure provisions uh, in these agreements. And you're paying for their discretion in a matter, whatever that matter might be. It could be a sexual harassment case. It could be, you know, a dispute in a restaurant. It, It could be a physical assault. It could be anything. It could be someone slipped and fell on your property always non-disclosure provisions in settlements and very often people will reach out to you you know prior to filing uh, a lawsuit to give you the opportunity to settle something pre-litigation and this is totally permissible it's totally acceptable and actually the system to a certain extent incentivizes it because it we don't want to you know clog the courts any more than they already are clogged we want to incentivize disputes to resolve and settle and that's what he did, essentially. So why are they going? Does it seem to you like it's targeting of Trump? Is this sort of another case of that? Look, the, you, you would have to be brain dead, literally, to not see that this is because of him. As someone who practices in that court and practices, you know, against that DA's office on the regular. I mean, I'm going to a meeting at the, that, that DA's office tomorrow at 1045. And as someone who sees how they usually handle a case like this, yeah, they're clearly going after him. And by the way, I haven't heard one offer from the DA's office uh, on a plea negotiation or a, a negotiation of a conditional dismissal. That's a great point. You're right. There's no give and take there. He's charged with an E-class. Let's look at him objectively. This is not Donald Trump. This is John Q. Public. He is charged with an E-class felony. That's the lowest level of felony you can be charged with in the state of New York. And if convicted, you can receive a sentence from, I believe it's uh, probation to four years jail is the maximum. Okay? First offense. Do you, I have represented probably 100 people in that situation with that office. In, that, in this situation, an E-class felony first offense, it's usually I get like a rich client who did a colossally stupid thing and they catch a minor felony. And you're able to work it out. Every case I've had in this scenario, I've been able to work out a situation where the DA's office agrees to dismiss all criminal charges in exchange for like a little community service, you know, something. Who, By the way. Do you think Trump would take that deal, dismissal of all charges, and do a little community service? He might. It might be a good PR thing. Yeah, it might be. You're right. You're right. Uh, You know, before I let you go, I want to get into the double standards. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. But But it's not even being offered. Yes. It's not on the table. You haven't you haven't heard D.A. make that offer in court. We have not. Or at least I have. I mean, look, we haven't been in there for every proceeding, but, but it would have been reported in the press if the, the, the DA's office made an offer on the record. 
Yeah, we have not seen any of that. And your point's a great one because it's it's sim- it's so different than what typically happens in these cases. And again, it's because it's Trump. Uh, they're making things that typically there's back and forth. Uh, there's typically even where there's not even prosecution. But because it's Trump, it they're going after him. Before I let you go also, Ken, I want to get into the, the bit of the double standards, which I think spotlights a lot of what we've been talking about here in this podcast. But of course, Robert Hur's report recently came out. And he essentially said he's the special um, counsel, of course, who's looking into uh, the classified documents tied to Biden. And he says, yeah, he willfully, you know, kept the documents. We know he wasn't even allowed to keep the documents when he was senator and vice president. He doesn't have, you know, the the presidential privilege. Uh, he's not covered by any of that. And yet he says at the end of the day that no jury would go after him essentially because he's calls him kind of a well-meaning, elderly, forgetful man. And some of the examples he gave was that couldn't remember the dates he was vice president, says he couldn't remember, you know, even within years of when his son died. It, it's really bad. But you look at all the things that they say in that one, and yet they're not going, they're not suggesting prosecution because he, I guess, would be look, looking senile before a jury. And yet in the Trump case, they're going full throttle, and it looks like they already have a date set up in May. Uh, explain sort of, when you look at both of these cases, how do you see them? Well, it is a double standard, and he has a legal defense, right? Trump's accused of the same thing, except he has available to him the Presidential Records Act. Biden, those records he took, they were either when he was a senator or vice president, so he doesn't have that available to him. Yet, his, his Justice Department, Biden's Justice Department, in a total act of impartiality, has decided not to prosecute Biden. You know, we said it, the, el- the well-meaning elderly gentleman defense. Uh, it, it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's disturbing to me as a lawyer. It makes me think that, we, that all the stuff we hear about equal justice under the law, we always kind of had a feeling that rich people have a, an advantage. You know, we kind of like accept that, that that's just the way it is in life. Rich people have an advantage in everything. But at the end of the day, if you break major laws, you're still going to face major consequences. There's only so much you could sweep under the rug. But it seems like there, there's a double standard where one side is sort of controlling the broom that sweeps things under the rug and has that discretion. And they're just hammering down on the other side. I mean, this Donald Trump is, what is he, a 77-year-old man, never been arrested in his life. The year he's running for election, he's under 91 counts indicted in four jurisdictions all controlled by a prosecutor of the opposing party. I mean, again, you have to take him out of the equation because, and just not even think of him as being part of it. If this were another individual, if this were another country, what would we be saying about it? No, that's a great point. What do you think the world is when they're looking at this and saying, wait, are we a banana republic now? Look, what what the world thinks is above my pay grade, Rita. But, you know, look, I, I don't think it's good. I, I, I don't feel, you know, particularly safe right now as an American. I feel like we have a problem where we're overlooking a major problem on our southern border because maybe we want to be politically correct. But
but there is a real threat. I, I'm in criminal court, you know, almost every day of the week. I see the impact that gangs are having on the state of New York, on the city of New York. It's real. It's not like a Republican fantasy, as some of my very liberal friends think. It's real. These people exist, and they are hurting people. And, you know, there's sort of just this, uh, you know, ambivalence about it. Like, like one side just pretends it's not happening. Yeah, and you also have to wonder when, as you're talking about, there is real crime out there, and yet you look at these prosecutors, many of the ones that are going after Trump, it's in some of their jurisdictions, clearly. I mean, you think of Alvin Bragg. There's so many other issues. He's been letting a lot of these repeat offenders out, and yet he is yeah. solely focused on Trump. There is an irony there, Ken Belkin. But it's, it's not just these prosecutors, too. We have local elected legislators the you know, in the New York State Assembly, and even worse, the New York City Council, that are just totally divorced from common sense. Um, there's a lot of so there's a lot of young electeds coming up that are you know part of this DSA Democratic Socialists of America, but they go straight out of college and they run for office and get elected. Some of them don't even finish college, you know, because why bother? You could just go win an election, right? Uh, but they don't have the experience to lead, and they're they're coming up with these you know utopian idealistic policies, but. These are these are failed ideas. They're failing ideas. These ideas and these policies are failing us right now as a state. You look at the bail reform laws. You totally took away the power of judges to set bail on a list six pages long of crimes. Do we not trust our judges? Do you know, are there not circumstances where a shoplifter might need to be held on bail? Are there if he's committed, I don't know, 100 shoplifting, you know, maybe it's time to, you know, a, a, a to stop something. And we've taken the, the, the stopping part out of arrest. It doesn't really stop it. It's like a minor bump for a lot of these people. They come out within 24 hours and they go right back to it. They're not afraid. And as I said, the gangs that are coming into this into the city in particular, um, they view this as weakness. They are not like ivory tower academics. They are street thugs, and they look at things in terms of violence and what our society is willing to accept and what we're not willing to punish. And we are showing a real soft underbelly, and when you expose your underbelly in the jungle, we know what happens. Yes, yeah, sadly, and it's happening over and over again. And then Sorry again, no, but but I'm, I, I believe me, I feel it too. We all see it, and it's a repeat pattern. And then we see these prosecutors instead going after Trump on a clerical error or so other things like this. It, it is really, it's just crazy justice that we are experiencing. And boy, uh, priorities in the wrong place, that is for sure. Well, everybody, be sure to subscribe and share to this podcast. Ken Belkin, really great to have you here and get your really important perspective. Thank you so much. Rita, good to be here. Thanks, Rita. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.